We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If I ventured in the slips this episode of Inside Golf Podcast is brought to you by RickRenGood.com. All the stats, tools, and info that I will be referencing on this podcast can be found over at RickRenGood.com. PGA Championship Week, essentially here. I will have my full, very detailed, written course breakdown on the site on Monday. Absolutely everything you need to know about Oak Hill. I run through every hole approach shot distances, everything I put into my model. Um, I think that I have a really big edge this week based on my knowledge of this golf course. So I'm going to be playing pretty aggressively and providing a ton of great exclusive content to the website. Uh, and I also think that uh, the DraftKings Wednesday article that I'm going to do will be incredibly valuable as well. In that one, I'll break down ownership, my core plays, the weather, basically all the info that you need before you make your DraftKings lineups. So now is an incredible time to sign up. You get all my premium content, access to me for questions in the Slack channel. I do not check Twitter DMs often, especially during a major championship week. So that Rick Run Good Slack channel is the best place to reach me. And you can sign up uh, you can sign up for all of that at rickrengoodcom Andy, or just type in Andy in the coupon code section. So, you know, so they know that I sent you, uh, and we would love to have you as part of the team. Seriously, the weekly pass for $7 PGA championship week, that is an absolute steal, uh, for all that you are getting. Uh, all right. Coming up on this podcast, myself, Steve Bamford, uh, breaking down every angle of Oak Hill. Uh, we are getting it out early. There's a ton of incredible info in here. Steve uh, is obviously somebody that uh, has been a mentor to me uh, in this industry, and I have a tremendous amount of respect for. Uh, we are tend to be on the same wavelength with a lot of this stuff, and it's always a real treat to uh to get to talk golf with him um one of my favorites favorite people uh existing to talk golf with if i'm being honest uh and 
we had so much fun, we might make this uh, an every major thing. So if you enjoy, let us know. Weeks like this, uh, all Apple reviews and retweets uh, on Twitter are really appreciated. Helps new people find us on one of our biggest weeks of the year. Uh, And I think that this will be very informative for anyone betting, playing fantasy golf, or uh, hopefully just for a better viewing experience in general. Uh, So without further ado, let's talk to Steve. All right, Steve Bamford is here. Honored to be joined by him as always. It's been a bit since we've done this, but I always like to have you on for some of the bigger ones. And uh, as we were just talking about right before we went hot, this is an exciting one for me, Okay, I've been waiting for this one for a while. What is the excitement level for yourself? How how much have you dug into Oak Hill? How much do you know about the course? How are you feeling as we record about 10 days out from the PGA Championship? I uh, personally, for golf in the Northeast or major championship golf in the Northeast of America, I think it's great. Absolutely love it. Um, West Coast over here can be a bit difficult in terms of time, watching, you know, up till two, three, four in the morning. East Coast works absolutely perfect. I just, I just like, the, I love the classical golf courses. I love the the bent grass. Sometimes you get the poem mixed in there, just the the flow of the golf courses. And when it comes to New York as well, any major that's in in New York State, New Jersey, you just get that rowdiness. <laughs> you get the rowdiness of the crowd. You just get that atmosphere. I, I I personally, apart from clearly the obvious in terms of Augusta National, which is a completely different deal. But if you're talking US Opens, you're talking PGA Championships, Northeast of America, be that Massachusetts last year for the uh, for Brookline, the US Open, or the New Jersey, New York, absolutely fantastic. The golf course itself looks an absolute perler. Looks absolutely great. Love the work that's been done on, done on it. Um but at the end of the day, they've gone back to a, a Donald Ross renovation. And as we know, Donald Ross golf courses have always stood the test of time. Yeah. So you mentioned the big changes and uh, the Andrew Green 2019 restoration. Last yeah. time we were here was 2013, which was won by Jason Duffner. And if you go back and look at some of the footage from the 2013 PGA and I was there in person, very claustrophobic golf course, right? With a lot of trees, really narrow fairways. And I think what's going to be interesting about this year, uh, and the biggest thing that people will notice if they're comparing previous major championships at Oak Hill to what we're going to see this year way more wide open property. I mean, they took out over 600 trees. The fairways are still just as narrow, but the playing options, the shot options, the angles that you're going to have, if you miss the fairway, you're not suddenly punching out from under trees. You're actually going to sometimes have angles if you miss in the rough 20, 30 yards wide. So I guess probably the biggest thing that we should touch on to start is after this big restoration that happened by Andrew Green in 2019, what are some of the things that jumped out to you in terms of how this golf course might be a little bit different this year versus at previous PGA championships um, at Oak Hill in the past? 
The word you use there, um, Andy, claustrophobic, very, 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 very tree-lined and firing lines that were very imp were impacted by trees. I mean, you could – what would be a good comparison to the modern-day PGA Tour? The kind of course that we get at Harbour Town. Yeah. Where you can be in the fairway, but on the wrong side of the fairway, and you've got overhanging limbs that are getting in the way of your approach. Right. That was Oak Hill back then when, when Duffner won. From what we've seen here with this Andrew Green renovation, he's gone back very much to stock uh, 26, 1926, when this course was originally built, 1925, Donald Ross. He's cleared the trees away. I, I, did I read 600 trees were? At were least. Fell? Yeah, something might have been even higher than that. It's in my mind, they've almost got the PGA of America memo, which is <laughs> open the course out, yep. power. It just screams yep. as PGA Championship tests do, apart from potentially TPC Harding Park where Morikawa won. Right, that's a shorter course. That was very pretty. That was pretty tight as well. This one just looks open. The thing I like about it, some very severe bunkering. Yes. Real hazards. Yeah. Absolutely. A, a, a large variety of hazards. The bunkering is penal. And I like that. We're talking some, you know, depends on lie, depends on hole, depends on bunker. But half a shot to sometimes even a shot penalty. Big time. Yeah. Great. Absolutely. Love that. Yeah. Uh, you know, if, if bunkers are going to be there in a major, they need to be penal in my mind. The other thing that really took my view, just looking at the golf course, it's not every hole, um, but the green complexes, they're quite they're quite unique in their in their shape. Um, they're very old style in terms of the, the square, almost rectangle nature of them. Yeah, and most of them appear to be elevated, so approaches up to. Uh, rather than approaches down to in the main, but very square, very rotund greens that definitely have lots of elevation around them. They say that the green surfaces themselves, though, aren't that funky. So it's a case of getting onto the, white, the right quadrant of the green or the right section of the green with your approach. But once you're on board in a decent position, not hellish amount of break not a hellish amount of of um, undulation on those greens but around those greens especially the way that they've they've gone down this route this modern major route of uh low low rough but plenty of runoff areas i think they're gonna be a real challenge the, the, the actual agronomy I, I mean people know of me um i like to go through the the agronomy fairways of bent grass with poana mm-hmm uh, the rough will be your typical uh, northeastern ryegrass, bluegrass, and fine fescue. You said in terms of hazards, some of that grass is going to be your typical US Open knee high, waist high kind of. If you know, if you're way, way wide of the mark, mm. greens around about five and a half thousand square feet, featuring bent grass. Yeah, and they actually made a switch. They went to pure bent grass. Yes. Um, and, and it used to be this bent pillow blend, and they went to the pure bent grass, which has turned out wonderfully. I mean, these greens are in immaculate conditions. This is a golf course that wins awards 
uh, nearly every year for the condition of its golf course, both the director of grounds and agronomy and the head professional at Oak Hill both came from Augusta national. Uh, they both came straight from Augusta national to Oak Hill and they keep this course in, in truly, truly immaculate condition. They have the sub air under the greens as well, which kind of brings me to the next thing I wanted to talk to you about. Have you looked at the weather too much at all? It sometimes feels like a fool's errand discover, d- uh, discussing the weather this far out. But the thing about Rochester in May, Steve, you know, it's not out of the realm of possibilities to get, you know, some slushy, rainy, even a little bit of snow sometimes when you're talking about upstate New York in May. Now, this year looks pretty darn good. Honestly, they have gotten a bit of rain, but tournament week and they've gotten a lot of rain kind of in the weeks leading up to tournament week, right? But again, with the sub air under the greens, it's really what you're hoping to see is no type of torrential downpour tournament week. But I still have concerns in terms of when we break down the course that if it's going to really be truly a firm and fast golf course, or there's going to be enough rain leading in where we might see a more wet golf course. Have you looked at it at all or thought about the potentials for how this golf course could play differently if there's some moisture on it? For me, I think the weather conditions, especially the amount of precipitation they take in, could be key for this. So, you know, I've dug into this quite a lot. March, 2.81 2.81 inches. So that for you know, European dwellers over here, you are uh, 71 millimeters. Last month, April, uh, 4.1 inches of rain. That's 103 millimeters. And May today, bearing in mind, uh, clearly we're, we're just breaking into mid May, they've had uh, 0.7 of an inch, so 18 millimeters. I did see, I mean, it's long range, like you said, Andy, some of this stuff's pretty meaningless, I expect, but they're saying there could potentially be rain on the Monday of tournament week, so next Monday. Now, if that actually hits and that hits hard, uh, that's going to cause problems. It would be fantastic. For me, and I've, I've spoken to Jeff Feinberg about this, he lives over in Toronto, the other side of the lake, but... This this whole area, you know more about it than me, being a New York kind of guy. You're going to have had snow till quite late or even yeah. early spring. Then that melts. Then the water table full of water, more rain. I cannot see for the life of me that they get firm and fast fairways, at least. I think there's going to be plenty of cut in the fairways. Now, whether we can categorise them as soft, so... You know, plugging as such, no, barely any run on them. Well, that we'll have to see what what the weather brings. Whether they can get them up to a decent stimp, that I'm more hopeful of that. And the, and the, the glance that I did get at a ten day weather view this morning did suggest that the weather looked okay. Kind of, you'd have to um, uh, you'd have to excuse me. I, I work in centigrade Celsius over here. But we're looking twenty five to. T- 25 on a couple of the days some of the days will be a bit more northern european maybe like 20 degrees bit cooler and you're going to get this we got exactly the same thing at the pga at beth page black the Mm -hmm. kepka one Mm -hmm. the mornings were cold the mornings were damp 
the more you know, it was it was it was a struggle for a lot of these players because it was a long golf course, it was a cold golf course, the ball wasn't travelling, and there were plenty of bogeys around. That, so the, that I think morning early starters have got a big job on one of the two days. That that's that's for sure. Certainly. And actually, that was kind of what I was going to ask you next is based on everything we've talked about so far, because I have a couple, but I'm curious if you have any to add or if you agree slash disagree with the ones that I would throw out. But in terms of if people are looking for reference points, right, if people are looking for maybe major major championships in the last 10 to 15 years that could simulate similar course conditions, similar scoring conditions than what we might see this week. The two that actually popped out to me were, as you mentioned, Beth Page. Beth Page has, they're in the exact same part of the country. Both are golf courses that I have played often and I'm very familiar with. Beth Page is another golf course where there's not as much character, I would say, on the greens. Beth Page has kind of smaller, a little bit flatter greens, but like right. you mentioned earlier, elevated, heavy, heavy bunkering. Yeah. I mean, the bunkering around the greens at Beth Page, really dramatic, tight fairways, thicker rough, difficult, difficult driving golf course. You know, power really gives you an edge. Absolutely. And then the other one I would throw out too, and this isn't a PGA, this is this is a US Open that we saw recently, similar part of the country as well. Um, these greens certainly have the type of character that Oak Hills ones do. In fact, I would say even more character than Oak Hills greens, and they're a little bit bigger than Oak Hills, but a lot of winged foot in this golf course yeah. to me as well. Very classical kind of fits the bill as winged foot had stun restorations as well, where they've taken out a ton of trees and created a situation where longer hitters were able to bomb away and have a bit more of an angle into the greens. If they had a bit, if they had a, a bit of a bigger mess. So how do you feel about those two that I threw out? And is there any other recent major championships or just golf courses in general that you've been looking at? We had a look at this, uh, the golf betting system guys, the podcast guys, so myself, Paul Williams, Barry O'Hanran. We, we, had, we had a look at images, videos, and whatever. Um, the ones that we came up with that we think there's some familiarity with, just, just looking at these. Wingfoot 2020 US Open. We came to exactly the same conclusion. Raised greens. Yep. The other thing we've got to say as well, uh, the, if you say to if you say to golf connoisseurs, you know, guys that understand their golf uh, design, what's your typical Donald Ross aspect of a golf course? Most would say back to front, sloping greens, yeah, sloping greens. And the, the the quotes you hear from all of the players, the typical quote is a golf course you've got to play from under the hole. Right. I think I think this is yeah, this is just going to be. That typical Donald Ross test. Just, just for just for the listeners, Donald Ross golf courses we've seen on the PGA Tour, right? Aronimink. So that was the 2010, That's 20, a good one. Yeah. 2010, 2011, AT&T National. More relevant to us, I would suggest, 2018 BMW Championship. I'll also mention some players' names as I go through these. Keegan Bradley won that. Keegan Bradley. Northeast, Northeast. guy. Northeast guy, yeah. 
he beat Justin Rose, and I believe Justin Rose has got decent history at Aronimink as well from the AT&T National. He beat Horschel, he beat Xander, and McElroy made up the top five. So that's the 2018 BMW Championship. There's a Detroit Golf Club in there, the Rocket Mortgage Classic. Mm, the only thing I'll say about that is that has, that was that has been won by one Bryson DeChambeau. And guess where Bryson DeChambeau won? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he won a yep. foot. Yeah, the course that Donald Ross Classic that we all know and love, East Lake, of course, where they hold the Tour Championship. Pinehurst. We've also got Plainfield, where they played the 2011 and 2015 Barclays. We've got Sedgefield Country Club as well, where they played the Wyndham. Donald Ross as well, Pinehurst number two. Mm-hmm. Don't see a lot of that in this. To be no. Fair. Yeah, a little bit different. Pinehurst doesn't have the sand, rough, sand, firm, fast. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, uh, the the other courses I see here, I mean, shoot me down in flames. Definitely Wingfoot. I can, I can also see Country Club of Brookline in this. Yeah, a little bit, certainly. Yeah. TPC River Highlands, where they played the Travellers. Yeah. You look at a lot of images of, I mean, we're talking at a golf course there that's circa 600 yards shorter. So it, this is going to be TPC River Highlands on kind of amphetamine. But <laughs> the green complexes, I mean, you look at 17, the shape of that, those greens, those could be raised with runoff areas. I, I get that as well. And don't forget, that's in Connecticut, so the northeast as well. Uh, and I even made a note here, and this is the one that I put kind of in quotes, wondering if you'd agree with me, maybe even Beth Page Black. Mm-hmm. I d- certainly and I can yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think in terms of the skill set, right? There's yeah. different there's different nuances about the course, even though Tillinghast and Ross came from a very similar era, both you know, classical designers that are really strong and good at creating these old school Northeastern bent grass, narrow fairways, thicker, rough, big boy golf courses. Right. So I, I I do really like Beth page. I mean, I, I really do think that you look at previous majors at Beth page and it's not to say that you haven't had you know, shorter players that can compete, but sort of that Brooks Kepka profile feels like the profile that we should be targeting here. No. Well, let's, let's run through the top 10 Kepka. Number one, DJ second, who you know, we'll remember that finish where the chant of DJ DJ was going around there for a good uh, half an hour as they, as, as Kepka was struggling and DJ was on a charge. Patrick Cantley was T3 with Jordan speed, Matt Wallace. Sixth, Luke List. I mean, if yeah. that isn't, uh, <laughs> yes, Luke List in sixth. So, bomber with short game, team no putt, full in effect. Mm-hmm. Uh, seventh, Sung Kang. I mean, that's just yeah. random. <laughs> yeah. And then eight, a tie for eighth, Matt Kuchar, Shane Lowry, mm. Rory McElroy, Adam Scott, Eric Van Ruen, Gary Woodland. So you've you've even got, I mean, in terms of the non-elite players, when you're looking at guys like Luke List, Gary Woodland, Eric Van Ruyen finishing in the top 10, yeah, what better of a marker that distance is incredibly advantageous on these types of golf courses? Absolutely. Adam Scott in there as well. You know, he's yeah. no shrinking violet. Rory in there in the top eight as well. And Shane Lowry gets it out there. 
in my mind, the, my my backstop for any PGA Championship, unless it's a really is the odd one, Oak Hill twenty thirteen was it? Yeah, twenty thirteen. Yeah, and also twenty twenty, the PGA that they held at TPC Harding Park. COVID years, 2020, 2020, yeah. The uh, COVID and everything just screws my brain over the dates for those. But yes, those were those were two courses that were never going to be about all, all, you know, outright power. I think this one will be. I really do. The way that they've cleared the golf course of trees, the way it's pretty open. How wide would you say the fairways are from your understanding in terms of your kind of average yardage at sort of 300 yard carry? What, what are we looking at? 27 28 yards wide right i mean what's interesting about the golf course and the main criticism that it has gotten although the restoration has been incredibly well received the members love it but the main criticism that the golf course has gotten was that they didn't actually really widen the fairways they just took out trees around the fairways so in terms of actually hitting the fairway with your driver it's just as difficult to essentially hit the fairway this year as it was in 2013. As we mentioned earlier, the biggest difference is that the penalty for missing the fairway may not be as dire as it was in the past in terms of the recovery shots that you're going to have to hit. But they are still very narrow fairways, Steve, and that actually kind of brings us back to the winged foot conversation, which is what actually happens when you have incredibly narrow fairways that are difficult by everyone to hit. Well, you get a situation where even the most accurate drivers of the ball are missing the fairway as well, and it just turns into a situation where if everybody's missing the fairway, then you actually, that plays into longer players even more, because think about the guys that are hitting wedges and nine irons and eight irons out of the rough versus if the fairways are so narrow that Colin Morikawa isn't actually hitting too many of them either, then the shorter players are going to have five and six irons out of the rough. And that's just going to play into bombers hands even more. Here's your 2020 leaderboard from wing foot. DeChambeau, Matthew Wolf, Louis Oosthuizen. Fourth was Harris English. Harris English, you know, is quite understated. Yeah, yeah. he's quite understated when you look at a lot of these northeastern results. I can go into some more detail around that. Fifth was Xander. Then we had T six DJ Will Radatoris. We know Will's done for the year. T eight Finau Zach Johnson. So that kind of goes to maximum accuracy mode, but clearly only T eight. McElroy again. Simpson. Justin Thomas. Patrick Reed so, yeah. was relevant there too. I remember. I think he probably fell off on Sunday and might have. Yeah, finished. he was leading after thirty-six holes. I tipped him up, and then he absolutely yeah. uh, he uh, he <laughs> went go go on sun- on Saturday. Yeah, yeah. So again, this is not to say, you know, you look at both of those leaderboards and a Webb Simpson, a Patrick Reed, a Zach Johnson. It happens every year. I mean, Brian Harmon finished third at Aaron Hills on a 7,900 golf course, right? Before. So we are, we're not suggesting that shorter players cannot compete at a course like Oak Hill, but you know, and, and I've said this before on podcasts, so I, I apologize for repeating myself, but when I played the golf course in August, Right before they shut it down, the golf course has been closed for members 
you know, it's closed anyway during the winter, obviously because of the weather, but they, they shut it down a little bit early towards the end of last season and, and, and started really during the fall of last year, started to get the preparations in place. I was there two weeks ago. I mean, the grandstands are already up and everything, but when I played the golf course in August, I wanted to play from the very back tees, even though I knew I would get my ass kicked because as somebody yeah. that drives the ball 280, 285, I'm a pretty good golfer and can get it out there. But if I was on the PGA tour, I'd be towards the the bottom to low end in driving distance. Um, and I played pretty well that day and was driving the ball pretty well. I was in bunkers all day. I mean, uh, literally as a 280 to 290 ish driver, I was in bunkers all day. And there are certain holes, um, 12, six, where it does really feel like if you have, and, and you talk about this a lot, you do a great job talking about this in your Augusta preview every single year. If you have like that high carry distance, that high yeah. distance to apex, if you're a yeah. guy that can consistently carry the ball 310, 315 off the tee, you're carrying a lot of those really hazardous fairway bunkers. So when I walked off the course in August, I said, man, this feels like a Rory spot or man, this yeah. feels like a John Rom spot or a Brooks spot or a Scotty Scheffler spot, because I, I really do think if you have the ability with to, to carry the ball 310, 315 off the tee with the yeah. way the fairway bunkers are placed on this golf course now with how long it is, you're picking up a big advantage in my opinion. There we go, listeners. PGA Tour carry distances. That's what we need to be looking at. It's true, though. Isn't it? uh, that's the, that's the one thing I, I. I mean, is it me? But I find a lot of these renovations that they do, you know, with uh, Fazio's of the world, mm. and yeah, we we can go through a long list of the, these designers. They don't seem to often move the fairway bunkering to a spot that's actually relevant to modern day elite golfers. Yeah, you're uh, you're incredibly right about that. And there's some okay. I mean, there's some holes on on Oak Hill. Um, one particularly has a good one six um where you know they put they keep the fairway bunkers out there and you have fairway bunkers basically lining the fairway up to 330 but yeah. there are holes as you mentioned at oak hill and many of these other courses too where um no they keep the fairway bunkers in place and they just push the tee back Right. Yep. Or, or, or do something of that nature as well. But yeah, no, you're right. And th I mean, the other thing we were just talking about the scorecard a little bit as well and how it's not, doesn't seem like it's super readily available to everyone, but there are hole number three, 230 yard par three hole number 11, 245 yard par three. You have a string of between six Six and 12, Steve, six, 500 yard par four. That's going to be the most difficult hole on the course, in my opinion, maybe outside of 18, 503, 461, 430, 482, 430, 245, 623. Ow. So, so, I mean, it's just, and that's, 
that's what you're getting in the middle in that beef of your round. You've got yeah. four medium length to long par fours in a row, followed up by a 245 yard par three. So it's like, man, if you're not, if this isn't screaming mid to long iron play and, and carry distance, you know, I mean, it's just, especially if it's a little bit more wet, Steve, right. You know what I mean? Yeah. This is the, this is the whole point, isn't it? About, about the precipitation. This is the whole point. I, I can almost hear Kerry Haig saying, as as he does, PGA Tour to course um, director, whatever his grandiose title is. You know, we just want to we want we wanted to make sure that Oak Hill could play to its full potential. It won't be tricked, <laughs> but it will just play to its. And that's the point. It's such a great golf course. They don't actually need to do too much to to do with it, and it's going to be major tough. Throw in though some fairways with minimum roll. Yeah, if there is a if there is a if plenty of uh, rain or you know we've already seen that there's been plenty of moisture in the area and whether the whether the weather there can you know I, I always think the weather there is going to be pretty typical to what we have here around the London area. I can take you out on my lawn that that that's plenty wet enough at the moment and there's plenty of moisture in in the soil as well. So in terms of the fairways and the rough. I can't see it. I, I really can't see a scenario where we're not seeing at least green, lush fairways and very, very lush rough, dependent on what they want to do with that. In terms of the actual sub air and, and the green complexes, it would be nice to see some some green complexes that, of course, have got that release and actually bring that whole complex design, the back to front contours and everything into play. And I think as long as we get that, we're going to have a we're going to have a major that's clearly going to be around that sort of ten to twelve under kind of mark that you you tend to see at a PGO. Yeah, getting way out of hand. I don't yeah. think we're going to get that. No, and I actually, as you were just talking now, the one other one that I thought of, and I just went to go check the leaderboard to see if there was a similar correlation to what we're talking about, but. If the rain does persist and we get a little bit more rain than we're maybe expecting in the forecast, even as of now, the one yep. other course that I would throw out there is, um, remember the 2011 US Open at Congressional that Rory just absolutely yep. obliterated the field? That's there's, idea. Yeah, there's some, there's some Congressional in here too. I mean, still relatively in the northeast that's a par 71 7500 yards this is a par 70 7400 yards so very yeah. similar scorecard yardages and you look at that congressional leaderboard and it's rory who completely pulls away and wins by eight strokes at that time the longest driver on the pga tour essentially jason day number two right? A very similar profile and then you look at the two players you look at the four players that finished third Kevin Chappell, who's in, in, very long, especially yep. in, in, in 2011, Kevin Chappell is one of the longer players on the PGA Tour. And then the long, along with Rory, the longest player on the PGA Tour finishes third, Robert Garrigus. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, so, and, and even if you're not the longest, great ball strikers, great iron players, Lee Westwood also finishes third, Y Yang finishes third, and then Sergio and Louis Ustazen right behind them. So you proper know, ball striking greens and regulation merchants, yeah, exactly, exactly. So it, it is it, the wetter it gets. I mean, I, I think it's playing more so in the longer players' hands. I don't 
particularly foresee it being as soggy as that congressional U.S. Open is. No. But, but you know, that was in, that was pretty much riding the whole week up to and during. But yeah, yeah, I get the whole, gist. A whole whole week up to it and during. I think the I th- I think the Beth Page Brooks here that you had marked feels like a more apt comparison. But I think you know what I what I want to get into now a little bit more so is maybe some of the narratives, some of how we feel about the particular players at the top of the odds boards, the favorites. And then at the very end, we'll talk about a couple of names that could surprise, but as we stand now, and I want to have the Rory McIlroy conversation with you. Maybe we, maybe we do Rom and Scotty first, but I want to have the Rory McIlroy conversation with you because Rory McIlroy is an honorary member at Oak Hill. His wife is from Rochester. His wife still has, you know, a lot of family in Rochester. They have spent some time at this golf course, particularly during COVID. You know, Rory, according to members, for weeks at a time during COVID, Rory was at Oak Hill, uh, working out there every single morning, very familiar with the golf course and public sentiment on Rory McElroy these days, despite the course fit that we have outlined there's something off with his game. Clearly, he has Augusta National, Quail Hollow, even TPC Sawgrass. These are golf courses where Rory McIlroy should be able to and can top 10 in his sleep. He started out the year, you know, miscut Masters, miscut Players Championship. It, it just, it hasn't been the Rory that we're used to seeing. So I want to start talking about the top of the board, specifically Rory, um, and then we can bring John Rahm and Scotty into the conversation. But how are you feeling about the favorites as we stand now 10 days out for Oak Hill? I think it's... I actually... I, I thought last week would be the litmus test with Rory. We, we've seen three victories there off of missed cuts at the Masters over his career. Mm-hmm. And he started well enough, and then Sun. It was Friday. Just started making a litany of uh, bogeys. Eleven to one. I'm seeing over here best price in the UK. It's a bit of a wing and a prayer job, isn't it? Really? Yeah. Especially for a guy that hasn't won a major since 2014. Yeah. He's clearly got the 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 course knowledge. Do you, I tell you what, I'll throw into the mix here. This might this might. Um, this might help. We've got a um, a tracker at Golf Bang System that looks at the average major championship score of each player going back to the 2017 Masters. Mm-hmm. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So the, 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 the top dog over the majors, over that, and this includes the Masters this year, Brooks Kepka. Won't surprise you. His average score, 70.12 at majors going back to 2017. Number two, Scotty Scheffler, 70.35. Three, Morikawa, 70.56. And then Rory, 70.57 in fourth spot. Now, that's pretty mad to me because even someone like Rory McIlroy is almost half a shot behind Brooks Kepka over the same time period in majors. Okay. And that includes the majors pre this year when Kepka was playing injured. Yeah. And his whole golf game collapsed. I mean, that just shows you the animal we are dealing with with Brooks Kepka. So McElroy ranks fourth. I'll take you through the top uh, ten. Xander at five. John Rahm at six. DJ at seven. Jordan Spieth at eight, clearly just pulled out Byron Nelson. T9, a tie, Tony Finau, Hideki Matsuama. Now, there are, some, there are some names there that haven't been mentioned. Cam Smith for the likes. The one that grabs me and one that's in absolutely brilliant nick right now, Patrick Cantlay. Yeah. I've gone down to T19, 71.39. Point three nine average score, so or one and a quarter strokes per round behind Brooks Kepka over majors in that time period, and they're the same price to win the PGA Championship right now. Yeah, and actually, you look at it just scanning through the odds board in terms of the best numbers that I can find. Rom is the deserving favorite, I would say, at plus 750, seven fifty, seven, seven to one ish across the board. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Scheffler is in the eight to one, nine to one zone. Rory, 10, 11. Caesar Sportsbook has a 12, pretty much 10 or 11 every everywhere else. And then it jumps. And yeah. you know, the fourth guy that that I'm seeing as of now is Brooks at 20 to 1. A lot of twenties on Spieth that I would expect gets a little bit better if you are a Jordan Spieth fan this week, based on the recent withdrawal from the Byron Nelson. We're recording this, by the way, Tuesday morning of Byron Nelson week, where Spieth just cited a hand or wrist injury the other day. I would expect that in terms of like the Brooks Xander Cantlay zone. Uh, Spieth is probably somebody that takes less action um, than those players and, and drifts a little bit. But 
once you get past Rory, Rom, Scheffler, it's this giant kind of cluster of Brooks, Spieth, JT, Cantlay, Xander, Hovland, a lot of 25s to one on Hovland, Cam Young as well. Like all of these guys are mixed into the 20 to 30 range once you get past the big three. Would you say probably that as it stands now, Brooks and Cantlay are the two guys that you're leaning towards the most out of this range? Or would you throw a Xander, a Hovland, a Justin Thomas into that same mix as potential options for you? Pet Coop, number one target for me. Mm-hmm. Has to be. Mm-hmm. I think his performance at Augusta was his true um, major championship performances that we've clearly seen since 2017. Right. Xander is playing some amazing golf right now. Some amazing golf right now. I see Xander in a lot of leaderboards in the northeast of America. Yeah that I think are very, very relevant. Don't forget, he won, uh, was it the 20, yeah, last year's Travelers yep. over in Connecticut. He loves this part of the world. He really does. Do I see Xander more as a US Open player than a PGA Championship player? That's the one I'm kind of wrestling with right now. Right. In my mind. Right. I mean, you're, you're a Xander truther, so you, you, <laughs> you far know the answer more than me. But, you know, fourth for tee to green, uh, first for off the tee last week at Quail Hollow. I mean, these are the kind of numbers that you just drool at to, you know, a week and a half out from the PGA Championship. And, yeah, he sits there in the top five of major performers since 2017. What is there not to like? I personally would take Xander over Cantlay. Huh. Um, I don't we didn't we didn't we didn't answer the Scheffler Ram scenario, did we? Yeah, um, let's 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 circle back to them till. Let's circle back. Until I kind of see um results with the right agronomy linked to them, I always have doubts. Um Scheffler for me, if you look at all of Scheffler's wins, They've all been to this point, and I know it's still early in his career, they've all been on a kind of Bermuda grass base in terms of the fairway, the rough. Yeah. Yes, Augusta's got bent grass greens. I get that. But the rest of the course is pure Bermuda. Phoenix, Bay Hill. Yeah. Got a it. lot of those. All TPC Bermuda. Sawgrass. Yeah. Another point to raise here, Andy, of course, is that as of the PGA next week, we will have only seen bent grass greens at Augusta National. And this week, at the Byron Nelson, which most of the elite guys aren't playing. They're skipping, yeah. So you've got a lot of players there with very little current current practicing or current experience of bent grass greens, especially the guys that clearly live down in Florida, mm-hmm. where predominantly they're, they're going to be practicing on Bermuda grass to a, to a, to a great extent. Um, I don't know. It's, it's almost like a talk. We did see, of course, Jordan Spieth, win the Masters, and he then went on to win the U.S. Open, I believe, in 2015. Yeah, 2015. That was Augusta, and then that was the Chambers Chambers Bay U.S. Open with DJ with the three-putt on the final hole. That's the kind of thing we'd be expecting from Rahm. And let's be frank, he 
was Harbour Town ever going to suit him the week after a, uh, the, after a Masters victory when he was being you know pulled around New York and doing the, yeah. the things I thought that his a performance Masters was victory. admirable at Harbour it Town, was. honestly. Yeah. And then he goes down to Mexico because he likes to support you know the Mexico Open with with the Spanish side of things and whatever. And he kind of backdoors a top two finish behind yeah. his mate Tony Fino. It was kind of a dream result for those guys. They they get on very well. He's, he's not exactly in bad nick, is he, John? No. <laughs> no, <laughs> certainly not. However, he hasn't won, to my knowledge, in the northeast of America. I know that he's won at Muirfield Village over in um, over in um, oh, Ohio. Ohio. Yeah. Really good, good history over in the Midwest, around Chicago and whatever. Hasn't won to this date, though, in the northeast. Clearly loads of top fives, top tens and whatever. So I wouldn't see that being an issue. I don't know. It's it's a it's a it's a coin toss, isn't it? It'd be interesting to see what Scotty does this week. I think at the Byron Nelson. You know, I'm with you in the sense that from a pure betting perspective, and I, you know, I was all in on Rom at the Masters as my yeah. essentially one selection at. Eight to I one. I thought that was very brave of you, Andy, <laughs> by the way. I thought that was very brave of you and clearly a very, very sensible thing to do. Well done. Thank you. I usually don't. I didn't see many people doing that. that. Low. Yeah. No. Well, I think the, you know, a lot of us better, Steve, have this strong aversion to betting the very top of the board and swallowing a player at seven to one, eight to one, because there's always so much value that we always say, well, why would I take the guy that's seven, eight to one when I can bet, you know, another elite player, uh, Justin Thomas at 25 to one or something like that. But historically what we have seen recently over the last 12 to 18 months, essentially is those guys closer to the top of the board are are just hitting at a higher rate um, than we've seen. And, and, you know, odds makers are being stiff on us. The odds makers are, you know, they're not really get, they're noticing that trend as well. And you're seeing guys like um, I've noticed more. So not just at major championships, this, you know, it was this way, even at some of the elevated events too. Wells Fargo's they're just stacking the top and you're seeing all these guys below 25 and they're basically just saying they're daring you. They're saying, we're going to put a premium on these guys because we truly believe that this is a golf tournament that can be won by 12 to 14 names. Um, now the PGA championship, Steve of the four majors, guess you could make an argument for the British Open as well, or the Open Championship, as of course I should say, uh, if I was in your neck of the woods. We yeah. sometimes, yeah, we for SEO purposes and stuff in America, everyone's Googling British Open, so we slept. But Open oh, Championship I won't shoot as well. you for it, but yeah, <laughs> it clearly it is the Open Championship, yeah. <laughs> so the PGA and the Open Championship would be probably the two majors that you could make the strongest argument for has lended itself more so to surprise winners over the course of its history. But as you've keenly pointed out, the PGA of America is almost going in a direction where their setups are a more stiffer, traditional, kind of almost closer to a U.S. Open test does this feel like a tournament that can be won by 12 guys 
do you have red ink essentially over, you know, how far would you go down the odds board in terms of this guy can actually win this tournament, right? Like, is this a tournament that you could actually see Sung JM winning, Hideki Matsuyama winning, Sam Burns winning, Jason Day winning, or are you essentially attacking the very top and, and, and crossing out a bunch of those names in the 30 to, you know, 30 and above range? Well, last year we came within one hole of a hundred, a two hundred to one chance winning, <laughs> right? With Mito Pereira, yeah, yeah, absolutely, two hundred to one Pereira, Thomas sixteen to one, Willie Z was thirty to one. I was on Willie Z. You won't be surprised to hear he finished second. Cam yeah. Young, eighty to one. Now that's a price looking back, isn't it? And Fleetwood was eighty to one. Mm. Fitzpatrick went off in the final group, didn't he? Um, he was 50 to 1. So I don't think you can cross people off. I think that this particular setup, though, potentially more than last year's because we were down in Oklahoma, the course had a lot more run to it because of the, the nature of where we were geographically. Right. Uh, I think that this one, just purely about around the 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 agronomy side and, and more the, the climate side, the temperatures, the likely uh, moisture on the course, that could be funneling us more to the elite side. Although you're always going to be able to pick some guys down there that have got a game that's that's going to suit, aren't you? I mean, it, it's a bit. I know it's a bit of a bit of a jump, but what about you know someone like a Wyndham Clark for Lord's sake playing sure. the golf of his life, just one at Quail Hollow, yeah. Wyndham Clark would suit this course down to the ground as you know, beautifully high, high ball flight, power to die for off the tee. If he could just keep that going and not, you know, not, not go into this kind of oh, I'm competing in a major kind of mental state, but actually just carry on the momentum, this golf course would suit someone like um, Wyndham Clark down to the ground. So, I, I don't think you can. I don't think you can rule. I mean, Kirk Kitayama being another. I don't think you can rule a lot of names out of out of out of potentially winning this. But it does tend to push you more towards a Scheffler of, of the top three. My, I would probably go down the route of Ram one, Scheffler two, Rory a distant third. Yeah. But then I would have said to you prior to the Masters, I'd have probably gone Scheffler one. Rory two, Ram three, right? Because you know, through the Florida swing, Ram wasn't playing that great. But you managed to kind of disassociate that and say, "Well, actually, this guy's won three times already this year. Yeah, he's the biggest prior price of the top three. I'll take him, and it worked to treat. So, yeah, does that reverse for Rory? Not so sure. That's the thing. Rory is almost in the role of Ram was at the Masters, where of the top three. He's got the best number, although I would still say that he has more questions this week entering the PGA Championship than Rom probably did entering the Masters. He had a 39th at the on at the Arnold Palmer Invitational and an okay finish at the match play where I think he lost to Cameron Young in the round yeah. of 16. Still a little bit better form than Rory had remember Rom was the first round leader at the API and we were sitting there on Thursday night 
saying this guy is about to go on the run of a lifetime and create some separation. Golf um, betting is dead. We're back to Tiger right. Woods days. Yeah. <laughs> right. And then yeah. essentially, which you know didn't come didn't come to fruition, but that doesn't take away anything from the threat of John Rom this week. Um couple more quick questions for you. The live players. Yeah. How how do you assess where do you stand on you've been pretty pretty neutral in terms of, you know, you've already mentioned Brooks as somebody that is absolutely on your mind as a headline selection. Dustin Johnson certainly hasn't been showing the form on live that we no. would expect, but you want to talk about Northeast. I mean, this guy uh, has won everything from been in the mix at courses like Beth Page and Plainfield to, you know, even, you know, winning by what, 10, 11 strokes and in, in Boston, Boston and yeah, yeah, at courses before. So how do you assess the live players heading in? Is it Brooks or bust for you essentially, or do you see a scenario where a DJ, a Patrick Reed, uh, Taylor Gooch is even getting some buzz by people at 60 to one. Um, yeah. what's the state of the union these days for you in terms of live players chances at major championships? I think for the likes of a Kepka, the likes of a Reed who've got major championship form and heritage, I mean, Reed in those numbers ranks 14th. So uh, JT 11, Hovland 12, Rose 13. There's another player. Uh, Patrick Reed at 14. I'm not too fussed. I I think those guys are such competitive animals. I think the lib scenario, and we saw this clearly at the Masters, fires them up. And if you actually look at Brooks Koepka, was Brooks really ever into the PGA Tour. I know he won PGA Tour titles, but for me, he used to use the PGA Tour purely as his warm-up to then go out and smash the majors. And he did did that from a very early age in in his career. Was he really ever a PGA Tour guy? Was he really bought into winning at Eastlake? I don't think he ever was, really. I think it was majors or bust. That's that's the way he wants to be remembered. you just look at Kepka's numbers, though, on Live this year. Uh, was he the first player to win two Live events? Um, he's just hitting fairways and greens like it's out of fashion. He's really playing some consistent, great golf. And that, to me, just shows that everything's being re- reignited for him. I think I think he really wants to, to start taking out major championships again. So I've got no issue with, with Kepka. I probably haven't got an issue with Reed. I think Joaquin Neiman's been playing some excellent golf on live. Sure. This course would suit uh, Neiman down to the ground as well. We know he's a fantastic ball striker, um, winner at Riviera Country Club. So he, he, he's got that kind of classical course build on a tougher test, can just shoot lights out. I was never, ever really into Taylor Gooch, Taylor Gooch. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, if, if, we, if we're looking at... A current form, clearly, you know, the guy's playing outstanding golf. But the thing with all of this is we just can't take strokes gain from Lib. We can't we can't merge that in any way, shape, or form into any live data that works. 
from a here and now in world gold perspective. So it's it's difficult, isn't it? It's difficult if you if you use statistical models and and data to help to to, to help bring you know your selections, your DK teams to life. It this live is just basically a black hole right now. And you're going on gut instincts to a certain extent. So for me, yeah, Kepka, yes. I could stretch to Reed. I could probably sweat a uh, stretch to someone like a, a wacky Neiman. Mito Pereira from T to Green on Liv has again been absolutely outstanding so far this year. So there's there's some players there that I like. Whether I've got the the full confidence to to go in on them. I, I don't see an issue with Brooks. Others, I'm going to struggle, I think. I think I'm going to struggle. I would Does that agree. answer your question? Yeah, that completely answers my question. I would agree. I think that Brooks, what we saw from Brooks at the Masters that was so encouraging was, and I know that he did. he just didn't really have it on Sunday, but no. from Thursday through Saturday, what I what I noticed about Brooks was it was very much back to the clinical, incredibly conservative, you know, every single iron shot he was hitting, he was aiming 20, 25 feet right of his target or left of his target, hitting the center of the green, really boring golf. But boring major championship major championship winning golf, the type of golf that Brooks has honestly mastered, the type of golf that Tiger Woods had mastered at many points in his career as well, where you take this conservative approach when you play these long, difficult major championship golf courses, where it's it's such a skill, and Jordan Spieth has talked about this before knowing how to pace yourself on these golf courses, knowing when to take shots. I mean, there is, gosh, Steve, if I'm being honest, two, maybe three holes at Oak Hill where you're standing on the tee and saying this is a true birdie hole. There is a drivable-ish par four on the back nine, 13, but there's trouble everywhere on that drivable par four. It's actually a hole that I could see a lot of players laying up on the second par five um, on the back nine plays 623 yards. There's a Creek crossing through, you know, the middle of it at 300 ish yards. You know, I could see players hitting three wood off that tee and just completely taking their medicine. Uh, even the par five on the front nine, 650, 15 yards. So, you know, there's, there's not a par, there are two par fives on the course. Not a single one of them is shorter than 615 yards. There's one drivable ish par four. Every single one of the other par fours are over 400 yards. So, you know, you get these types of courses and Beth page was similar to this as well, where just really not a lot of birdie opportunities. So many holes where you just have to take your medicine and play conservatively to the center of the green that plays so much into a player's like Brooks's hands, who is such an incredibly patient golfer, um, in all essentially in, in all senses of the word. Um, so I think Brooks is deserving of being the headline live guy. I kind of find myself if I'm getting a little bit deeper, like I think Fleetwood 
I love the way he's playing right now. He, I picked him in December at Royal Liverpool. I like him at LACC too, because that's a little bit more wide open, firm and fast, larger corridors, more shot options. Almost yeah. reminds me in a way of, of Shinnecocky in a Shinnecock, way, where it's yeah. a little bit more sand-based, firmer and faster, wider. He, like, he, prefer, he prefers a firmer test to a soft golf course. Absolutely. So, I mean, the only guys that I would throw out there in addition, once we get past that 30 range, Fleetwood, Justin Rose, and then as we mentioned before, maybe probably not as a, this guy's going to win this tournament, but as a, this guy may be a top 10 or a top 20 Keegan, right? Why Uh, not? (laughs) Oh, you've, you've, you've just segued me in. (laughs) Golf betting system. We have predictor models, DP World Tour and PJ Tour. We've just relaunched them. They're they're, they're brand sparkling new. I'll let you into some of the base core data because that's how generous I am. Yeah. (laughs) Here we go. Category, soft golf courses on the PGA Tour over the last five years. Okay. So categorized by myself as soft. This can be one round. It could be a whole tournament. We, We basically put it into the data. Here's the top five. Justin Thomas at one. Brooks Kepka at two, Rory McIlroy at three. Bearing in mind, Brooks Kepka, of course, isn't playing the PGA Tour right now, so these his numbers are always going to be slightly poorer, uh, and they're going to degrade far faster than the others. But McIlroy three, and then there's a tie for fourth: Patrick Cantlay and Keegan Bradley. <laughs> That's crazy. Ironic. Top yeah. four soft golf courses over the last five years on the PGA Tour. Keegan Bradley. And what did we say? 2018 BMW Aronimink. He's done well at uh, the Travelers, hasn't he? I yeah. mean, he was, didn't he win a Ted Battle there a few years with Ches Reevy? Oh, yeah. There's a lot to like about um, Keegan Bradley. And, uh, uh, um, you know, people will. will, will Take take that as a stretch, but yeah, as a long as a as a each way punt or as a as a decent proposition potentially from DraftKings that isn't going to garner lots of ownership. Bradley's not a bad angle. Just to 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 take you through the rest of the top ten: Hovland, Im, Camp Smith, Adam Scott. Well, I don't know if Emiliano Grio is going to play. Uh, John Rahm, and then Xander sits fifteenth in those numbers. I can do the same for past 70s as well. The best past 70 player on the PGA Tour over the last five years, guess what? Brooks Kepka. Two, Rory McIlroy. A tie for third, Dustin Johnson and Xander. Fifth, Justin Thomas. And then a big, big jump. Finau, Matsuama, Morikawa, uh, Kevin Nart, Webb Simpson, Justin Rose, Matt Fitzpatrick, John Rahm, Scotty Scheffler. So actually, if you were throwing some doubt into the mix about a Ram or a Scheffler, those past 70 numbers suggest that they're far better on longer 72-type formats than they might be on 70s, some some kind of angle that might suggest that you, you don't actually back them at those prices. But, yeah, a lot of this stuff that I've got in front of me, it screams to me, Brooks Kepka, it screams to me, Xander. So I'm going to ask you, as the Xander whisperer that I know you are, Andy. Hmm. I know I know you're up there with Nagel's bagels at the very top of the tree <laughs> in this kind of regard. 
Um, I'd have to get clearly. I have to get Nagel's mentioned. Um, <laughs> Xander and Oak Hill. Is that a marriage for you that can work, or have you got your doubts about it? It is absolutely a marriage that can work. I think my concern with Xander a little bit right now, and I know that the off the tee numbers have improved for him greatly at the Wells Fargo, but if you're watching that final round uh, at Quail Hollow, the reason why Xander wasn't able to garner any momentum on Sunday was because he still had this two-way mess going with the driver. And he, I know on the week in total, he gained over four strokes off the tee and it looked good, but from an eye test perspective, he did not have command over his driver to me, essentially over the last, it's been a while. And he had that stretch where Arnold Palmer Invitational, minus three strokes off the tee. Players Championship, minus 3.6. The match play, I have strokes gained for. Those are a little bit wonky. I wouldn't read too deeply into that. Minus three off the tee. Masters, plus 0.3. So it gets a little bit better at Augusta, but still not what you'd be hoping for out of a player of Xander's caliber, who's a really good driver of the ball. And then it starts to improve again. We get plus 2.6 at the Heritage. Plus four, plus four at Wells Fargo. For me, the big yeah. question with Xander is if if he has command over his driver, and like we've talked about before, I do not actually think that Oak Hill requires you to be the most accurate driver in the world, but it's still a golf course with a lot of angles and we talked about the quadrants, you know, with the greens and right. It's still, you know, just like Augusta, you know, there's room off the tee, but you want to be put in a position where you're approaching the green from the right side of the hole. I think Xander's driver right now, uh, and his performance, honestly, on Sundays in major championships, um, is his key is, is going to be the key for him. If you're asking me right now of the group of the players in the 20 to 30 range, if I was to power rank them. Yeah. Brooks is probably the deserving number one player. Once you get past the big three. Yeah. We agree on that. And then I, I, I just, it's, it's, it's tricky between Xander and Cantlay for me because part of me is looking at the caddy change with Cantlay. And I know that it didn't come into fruition for him the first week at the Wells Fargo, the way that we've seen other players make this change, but you know, guys with the new caddy and Joe LaCava, you want to talk about conserving, boring major championship golf, a guy that really knows how to set the pace, you know, pace yourself in a major championship play, you know, aggressive shots to conservative targets. I mean, he's watched the master at this for many years now. Yeah, Um, You know, you see these new partnerships of Justin Thomas and bones, you know, win a major Joe Scoverin comes on for Tom Kim. He immediately gets a boost in his game. Even, you know, even we haven't seen it totally come to fruition yet, but cam young makes a change with, with Paul Tesori. I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean, there's there's all these examples where where I do, you know, Lakava can't lay, and Cantlay's already such a conservative, boring player that in yeah. theory he's should a, he's lend a, his way to major championships. But when you look at the data, and clearly, yeah, the strokes gain data, Cantlay right now has to be in the top three drivers 
oh. short term on the planet right now. Cantley's driving is absolutely Beautiful. out of this world. And that's when he tends to win. That's when he always wins at Muirfield Village, the, when the driving is full. Yeah, you know, he's got full confidence with it. The rest just follows. By the way, pure back grass putting. I mean, winner of the BMW championship in back-to-back years on, yeah. I know those were super easy golf courses, but they were kind of classical. They were kind of wet a little bit too. And mm. they kind of have these pure bent grass greens where, you know, Wilmington Country Club and Caves Valley, um, Oak Hill is going to be way harder than that. But both of those are classical golf courses with the exact same agronomy, right? And and that is where Cantlay seems to do yeah, some of he, his he, best work. He won that from Scott Scott Stallings, Xander Schofley, and Scotty Scheffler. Right. Wilmington Country Club. Right. Yeah. Um, is there anyone, Steve, you've been incredibly generous with your time, so I want to get you out of, out of here on this. Is there anyone that we have not mentioned that deserves a shout, that you're – eyeing or we haven't talked about it all that you just want to get one last quick point in before we get out of here i don't know if harris english might be worth a look mm. i think um there's a lot of leaderboards here in the northeast you know you you mentioned a few of the tournaments um northern trust 2020 dj won by you know he lapped the field english second um wing foot bryson yeah. DeChambeau. Wolf, Oosthuizen, English, Xander. TPC River Highlands, 2021 Travellers. He won that, didn't he, from Kramer Hickok in a playoff. Yeah. He does turn up on a lot of Northeast golf course leaderboards, Harris English. And from a from a position where he was dropping out of the top 50 like a stone and struggling, lo and behold, I don't I don't think it would classically fill you with uh, with glee, looking at his numbers, I know he was—he wasn't great off the tee at Quail. He's doing a lot of it around the green. His approaches have improved. Maybe a Harris English gets in the mix. Someone kind of that kind of angle. Get those yeah. approach numbers from Wells Fargo too. The Irish—they well, were outlandish, like weren't they? Third for approach, yeah, yeah. Look completely back with them. Um, but yeah, Justin Rose is another one. I, I always look at Rose at a major. You, you're going to get a 60, 70 to one kind of price point. And that guy will get into Team Europe purely with the Pebble Beach win that he got and a couple of fringy top 10 efforts in majors, and he'll get a pick, no doubt about it. Yeah. So, yeah, Justin Rose, he's he's just got heritage on these. Again, as you said a few minutes ago, there's a guy that knows how to play major championship golf, aiming 20 to 25 feet from the pin on a whole host of holes and then just choosing his targets, the go targets on the four or five holes where the pin position's in exactly the right spot to go for it. He's got that mentality to do that. Yeah. So, yeah, Justin Rose. Steve Bamford, everyone. Tell us what you got going on this coming week. What's the schedule for your wonderful articles, your major podcast with the whole gang I look forward to every there. Are you a regular listener? Or or do you just say that Andy? No, no. Are you a regular listener? I am not only am I a regular listener, but I, it, I kind of, it feels like major championship week to me 
when I get you guys, Paul and Barry, uh, when, when that first kind of podcast comes out, I'm like, okay, it's, it's major championship. It's major cha- week. Well, actually, yeah. funny you should say that, Andrew. <laughs> Our PGA championship preview podcast is coming out on the 12th. Okay. This week, Friday the 12th. Friday. Yeah. So we're going to be, we're going to be talking all through these numbers. We'll add some different angles to it, but yeah, we're going to be talking PGA championship and what to look for on the 12th this Friday. Uh, my main preview will be out on Saturday, uh, on Monday of next week, tournament right. week. And then our tips podcast will be out next Tuesday, the 16th of May. I have got a PGA Championship preview piece. I don't know if I can give you a link and you might be able to put it in the podcast description. I will. There's lots yeah. of different information in there that people might find useful about the course and just trends about what PGA Championship winners look like prior to them winning. I would imagine that there is a extremely heavy crossover in my listeners uh, with those who also consume your work. So if you haven't already... Bamford Golf on Twitter, right? Yeah, Bamford Golf on Twitter. Golf betting system. Uh, just type that into Google or whatever search engine you use. You'll, you'll All find free too. I mean, your previous free of charge. Free of charge. It's unbelievable. Foc. <laughs> so, Steve, this was a pleasure as always. We will do it again very shortly. Oh, please, yeah. Have a uh, have a blast the next couple of days diving deeper into Oak Hill, and uh, we'll do it again soon, my friend. And it's been a pleasure. Thank you for your time. I appreciate uh, you you're in, you inviting me on. Thank you. All right. That is it for the podcast. Special thanks to Steve Bamford. Special thanks to rickrengood.com. We will be back on Saturday evening, maybe Sunday morning. Uh, I will be spending even more time on the golf course in that next Sunday solo episode talking about who I'm going to be betting, probably have a much a greater sense of what direction I'm going to go, more of a statistical view on the golf course, plus bringing on a Rochester native to talk some food stuff, some culture stuff for all those that will be in the area that week. And then once Monday rolls around, me and Kobe, our annual tradition, will be back again to break down the entire DraftKings slate. Uh, me, Brian, Twitterless Steve, and Boston Capper will do another DraftKings podcast on their feed as well. That's going to be a ton of fun. And then the four of us are also going to do an in-person show Friday night as well as at Oak Hill, um, which I'm sure will be uh, incredibly smooth, uh, slow-paced, and on topic. Uh, plus, all the stuff that I usually do, articles, etc., things of that nature. Uh, really busy week for me but special one because of this venue. So appreciate all the support this week as always, and we will see you next time. Cheers. If I ventured in the slipstream Between the viaducts of your dream Where my world still runs crack And the dead shed the back roads stop.